uh, Hugh is discombobulating me now because I was nervous <laughs> enough. But that's a little recording device that he puts up here so that we can hear it later, those of us that are not here this morning. Today, there's a man that's going to be teaching us that, again, needs no introduction. Because Scott has been with us several times before, and he always does an excellent job. He said, well, maybe I can give you a little different information. So let me tell you what Scott told me about himself that you may not know. Scott and his wife Catherine have been in Roswell since 1996, and this month they celebrate their 17th anniversary. He works for Oracle in cloud computing. So he could give me a class on just what that means. It would help me a lot, because I'm not sure I know what cloud computing means. In his, in his free time, he likes to do a lot of family research. He also enjoys preparing and presenting lessons. And again, we don't need to have much more said about him because he does an excellent job. So again, join me in welcoming Scott Dixon. And on top of that, I'm wearing shoes today. No scooters, no sandals, no boots, and they match, so that's all good. <laughs> so that's all good. Um, thanks for having me. I always enjoy getting to come to CCUC. Um, so today is the 5th of January. What Sunday is this? What happens tomorrow? <laughs> What's Epiphany the celebration of? Well, wise men, Mike talked about that last week. He also mentioned that it's it's God's announcement into the world. So we also often tie to Epiphany the presentation of Jesus in the temple, right? And then the baptism of Jesus is also celebrated at Epiphany a lot of times. All of those ways that God pokes through. Well, today we're going to talk about how we respond to that poking through in our response to the covenant that, that we make with Christ. And and I've actually well, I have a couple of handouts I'll send out later that I think I clipped from one of Malone's bulletins years back because <laughs> I've saved them. Um so let's talk about Happy New Year and starting the year. This is a quote. When do you think this was written? How much were men divided in their expert expectations concerning the ensuing year? Some believed it would bring a large harvest of temporal calamities, other that it would be unusually fruitful of spiritual blessings. Indeed, the general expectation of those calamities spread a general seriousness over the nation. Does that sound like today? People are looking ahead going, hmm, what's happening? What's going to happen? When do you think this was? John Wesley, 1756. So John Wesley often had interesting interesting things to say in his journal around New Year's. He goes on that same day in 1756 to say, This was a means of abundant spiritual blessing. We endeavored in every part of the kingdom to avail ourselves the apprehensions which we frequently found it was impossible to remove, in order to make these conducive to a nobler end, to that fear of the Lord which is the beginning of wisdom. If you got lemons, turn it into lemonade. If people are uneasy, help them to see that there's peace in Christ. Help them to see there's assurance that God's grace is going to see them through. If they're excited about what's happening, help them to see that it's coming as a result of God's grace. So, so 
he's taking advantage of that situation and moving forward. But it's his New Year's journals were always forward-looking and hopeful, right? So John Wesley, founder of Methodism, uh, born 1700, died 1791. You know, he didn't set out to go start a church. He set out to recover in in his church that he was a part of that closeness and that excitement that he felt like the earlier church had and that he had seen in other people. He came to Georgia and on the boat he met he met the Moravians and saw the assurance that they had and saw the peace that they had and and wanted some of that. You know, and then he got chased out of town when he wouldn't give communion to the woman he thought was supposed to marry him and she married somebody else. <laughs> Little things like that, you know. Um, he and Charles hoofed it from Savannah up to Charleston, caught a boat and went home. Right? But um he was looking to recover that 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 spark. And it wasn't just a, a um a lightweight thing. He took it from, from, you know, we have to have this friendship, this close relationship with Christ, but it's also, there's a lot of seriousness to it as well. But his journals, he wrote in his journals, and his journals are published, and you can, you can find in his journals that every year, especially if you look at his New Year's journals, he's always looking forward. So even late in his life, remember, born in 1700, 1783, he starts out his New Year's entry saying, may I begin to live today? 1785, he's 85 years old. Whether this be the last or no, may it be the best year of my life. He keeps going. 1790, I'm an old man, decayed from head head to foot. My eyes are dim. My mouth is hot and dry every morning. I have a lingering fever almost every day. My motion is weak and slow. However, blessed be God, I do not slacken my labor. I can preach and write still. So even at the end of his life, he's looking forward. How can I be God's hands and feet, God's messenger? How can I, how can I share this, this, this peace and grace and salvation and assurance that I have with others? So it's really kind of interesting to look at, look at his, his journals in that way. He's always looking forward. He's always pushing forward. Scott. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting to me when you look at that. And you think about Billy Graham and what he may be thinking about as, as he looks forward to his 96th year. And he just came out with a new movie. Yeah, unbelievable. <laughs> with his new message. Now, he, he's saying it, and he's probably going to be his final big public message. Yeah. But he's still at it. Well, and Bev Shea, you know, his partner for a thousand years, just just passed away this last year at, what, 192 or something? <laughs> I mean, Bev Shea was older when they were young. <laughs> yeah, and so, I mean, that's, that's, it keeps you going. It keeps you going. And, and I think that that forward look is is a characteristic you see in a lot of, of these these really godly people. So, it's New Year's. Do you all make New Year's resolutions? Do you set goals? No? Who does? Does anybody do it? A couple. A couple. Why do you do it? Why would you do it? Why did you used to do it? For hope. Hope is a good one. That's right. To see what it is that, that you need to fix, you know. Um, and and what kind of resolutions maybe do you did you make or do you see other people make? I mean, always people saying, oh, I'm going to quit smoking. Oh, I'm going to exercise. Oh, I'm going to... 
Lose weight. I think it's probably the most common one. You know? And, and it seems like some people take it real serious. Some people take these real serious and they make real changes. But I think you look at the studies and you find that, that certainly by February, look at how many used treadmills there are on Craigslist. Right? Unfortunately, ours broke last week and my wife is like, we gotta get a new one now. Um, but some people take them real seriously. Some people stick to them. Maybe others don't. Most people, I think, don't. What helps when you do stick to them? Not necessarily resolutions, New Year's resolutions, but in general, if you set a goal and are trying to accomplish something, what helps you to stick to it? Accountability. Accountability and a plan. Yeah, what else? Discipline. discipline. How do you get that discipline? Yeah, so personal discipline and then somebody watching you, the accountability helps. Some people will write stuff down and like put it on their mirror, you know, so you see it all the time. There you go. A chart. Something that keeps it in front of you. And those can be helpful. And accountability, sharing it with others, I think is a great thing. You know, because that's somebody watching out for it. Um, Mike has been talking about encouraging people to read the Bible in a year again. Right? And last year they published a couple of different reading plans. And the trouble I had with those reading plans was I'm always on the road. It's always at home. And I'm not, even if I put it in my briefcase, it's hard to, you know, keep track of what's today's. Well, he was talking about the app, the Uversion app. Well, that's cool. App's cool. You can read it wherever you are. I was poking around in that thing. And if you go to the website associated with the app, it will actually email you today's Bible reading. It will also, if you want it to, email how well you did this week to an accountability partner. <laughs> right? To make sure. So that accountability, somebody going through it with you, is a good thing. So, a little bit different than resolutions, vows. Have you ever stood up in public and made a vow? I bet almost everybody in this room has. Your weddings, right? Right? Weddings are probably the number one thing. You know, you got all this court stuff. You have to... Swear you're going to tell the truth, all that kind of thing. Um, have you ever renewed a vow? Did you renew wedding vows? What led you to do that? Why would you do that? Well, yeah, okay. Why did she want to? You know, I think a lot of it, a lot of times it's, it's to, not so much to reinforce them to yourself. Maybe it is to reinforce them, but to, just to keep making it public that this is still what I believe in that I promise to do. Right? It kind of goes to the accountability thing, but it also kind of goes to, to, it just, it makes you tighter. It makes, it reinforces it to each other. And that's a really good thing. So, a little different thing. Have you ever had friends who are very important and powerful people? Right? Well, no, no, I mean like for real. For real people. Like, like, uh, uh, one, Bill Newton is in my Sunday school class. Bill used to be the chief staff officer at Coke. He was tight personal friends with Roberto Gazzetta. Right? And, and you don't always interact with those people the same way. 
Sometimes he's Roberto and we're going out for dinner. Sometimes he's Mr. CEO at the board table. Right? And that same person, you have different kinds of relationships with that person. Right? Malone is always Malone. Malone's always Malone. But, but it's, but it's, it's a different kind of a thing. When you're leading worship, you're the elder officiating. As opposed to sitting down at the lunch table somewhere, right? And so you react to people, there's, there's reaction that is different. And, and I think this goes a lot to how Wesley saw relationship with Christ. Christ is your closest friend, but that same Christ who is your closest friend is the creator of the universe, right? As a part of that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that was here forever and will be here forever. And and if you just have my buddy Jesus, you're missing out. If you just have God on his throne, you're missing out. But you have you have people that you relate to in different ways. And so while we might have a very tight personal prayer life, Wesley felt it was important to reinforce in a vow that that awe associated with that relationship too. And that's a lot of the basis of his covenant renewal service, right? So I got a couple handouts and I hope I have enough. I made a hundred. <laughs> I give you half, and I'll take half over here. And I'll just half in the back. And so, the covenant renewal is is kind of like Wesley's idea of how we reinforce these vows, how we reinforce that friendship and relationship. And like I said, John Wesley didn't start out to found a church. He started out to to reinvigorate the church that he was a part of. And and he he played around with this. He used it in different forms early on, but by the the later part of of the century, he was really solidifying into we need to formalize this renewal. And so he says in 1775, I mentioned to our congregation in London a means of increasing serious religion, which is frequently which has been frequently practiced by our forefathers. The joining in a covenant to serve God with all our heart and with all our soul. So it's a public thing, and it's it's like it made me think of of when they were restoring the temple after after the Exodus, and Hilkiah the priest found the law, and they read the law to the people, and all the people reinforced and reestablished that covenant that had been made before. Right? It's reestablishing all of that. And and he didn't make this up out of whole cloth, but but he started doing this 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 liturgy in 1775. Um, it was drawn out of some stuff that the Puritans had been doing this sort of re, this sort of renewal of your covenant all the way back into the 1600s, and it and it caught on. It became an annual practice within Wesley's churches fairly quickly. Wesley felt like this was a great thing to do at New Year's. He felt like it was a great thing to do right at New Year's as a part of a watch night service. You know, where where you have a service that leads up to midnight and as the New Year dawns, the first thing you do 
is reestablish your covenant. Second best, New Year's Day. Third best, first Sunday of the year. Right? But he also went so far as to say, um, fourth best is whenever I'm in town. Right? <laughs> he would lead this in his churches, the churches that had been established, and, and in the groups that had been established. So, so it was an important sort of a thing to him. And, and as you look at the liturgy, it's not, it's not uh, a feel-good kind of thing. It's solemn. It's serious. It's it's focusing on on that relationship with that that friend Christ who has been there a part of the Trinity from from you know as as they said in in the, the time of the the anti-Aryan um, trying to put down the Aryan uh, heresy there never was when he was not you know so it's 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 tied up in that seriousness. So it's not just this bouncy kind of thing. Um, we use it as a way to reset, to renew, to start the year fresh. And Wesley said, okay, this is important, but if you do it every week, it's going to become rote. You need to do it frequently enough to matter, not so infrequently that you forget but not so frequently that that it it's just you just going through motions. So he kind of liked this whole annual thing. He thought that was a good kind of time, and, and hence he settled into the the New Year's as a time for it. Um, the liturgy that we use today, the liturgy in the Book of Worship, comes out of his 1780 liturgy, and it really has changed very little since then. Uh, and and often what we'll do is this will be the liturgy that leads into communion. We've reestablished our covenant. Let's participate in the sacraments that go along with that covenant. Right? Uh, and there's two parts. There's two parts. And I hope I didn't give away my... Oh, I got a copy still. I was afraid I'd given away mine. There's two parts in this liturgy. There's, there's the invitation, where essentially he lays out, here's, here's what we're covenanting, and the covenant prayer which is our acceptance of that agreement, of our acceptance of that relationship. And and they're both really powerful. I, I like the, I, man, I've kept this for a long, long time. And, and I always look forward to when we do this as a part of our, our start of the year. Some years we do, some years we don't. This year we're not. We've done, I think it was two years ago was the last time we did one. But every, every two or three years we'll do one. You know, we had a string where we did them fairly frequently. But I think it's a great way to start the year. And in the invitation, it's got a bunch of parts. It's got a bunch of parts. And I'm not going to go through and read through every bit of, of both parts of this liturgy. I'm going to highlight mostly in the invitation. Um, but it talks about our, it calls us to commit, right? To understand that, that, that in this commitment, not everything we might be called to do is, is something that makes us happy. But it's what we're called to do. It might not be something we understood that we were good at, or it was within our 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 power. But it's what we're called to do, because we respond that we're willing because we're Christ's servants. And then it lays out some admonitions about entering into this covenant, because Wesley's real clear: this is a serious covenant. You're giving your life to Christ. People go forward, join the church, they go through uh, through committing themselves, and then you think about, what have I just signed up for, right? You get married, and then you think, what did I just sign up for? 
we just agreed to adopt a puppy yesterday. And I'm going, what did we just sign up for? <laughs> I think that goes into... Not everything we'll be asked to do. See, I'm not a dog person. We'll find out. Um, but he says, here's the things that you need to do when you accept this covenant. Spend time with God in prayer. Regularly. Regularly. Be serious when you make this vow. Pay attention. Be serious. If you're not ready, don't do it. Because you need to be willing as you enter into this. But, claim God's help. John Wesley was very clear all throughout his life that grace is what allows us to do these things. We're powerless to be able to maintain this covenant, to be able to remain in in good standing, to remain... Wesley believed that we could move towards sinlessness with the work of the Holy Spirit. I can't do it but the Spirit working in me can. And the Spirit's going to help me to do this. Right? So he was focusing very much on claim God's help. You're entering into a covenant with God that God's going to keep pulling you, reaching out and helping you the whole time. Be faithful and don't go back on your word. Again, <clears throat> with God's help. And then be prepared as you enter into this renewing covenant. So let's look at some of the invitation because I think it's, it's just the most powerful language. Commit yourselves to Christ as his servants. Give yourselves to him, that you may belong to him. Christ has many services to be done. Some are more easy and honorable. Others are more difficult and disgraceful. Some are suitable to our inclinations and interests. Others are contrary to both. In some we may please Christ and please ourselves. But then there are other works where we cannot please Christ except by denying ourselves. So he sets out from the start. This is, this is important stuff, and it might be hard. And you might be asked to do things that you didn't really think, you know? But maybe, maybe it's what you're still called to. And we respond, Lord, make me what you will. We give ourselves up. I put myself fully into your hands. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you. Let me be full, let me have nothing. I freely and with a willing heart give it all to your pleasure and disposal. And this is one, this is a piece that always kind of feels personal to me. Um, you know, so you never really know when you start out in this what it is you're going to be called to do and whether it's what you thought you would be called to do. I never really thought that I would be called to, to help lead Sunday school classes, and, and to teach Bible studies. Um, I got asked to teach high school high school Sunday school one year. That was the most miserable thing I've ever done. <laughs> awful. Awful. I am not good with kids. No. It's a good reason that Kathleen and I have no kids. right? But then I found that there are other things that I was called to do as a result of that, like this, that, that fit more into my inclinations, but not always, you know. So, so we get pulled into things. Um, I mentioned the dog. I really think the dog falls into this. Not, not for silly reasons though. You know, Kathleen has, has, has had uh, all kinds of stuff. And her docs have said, you know, having a dog would really help your health. And I'm like, hmm, 
I'm not a dog person. Not a, and I've been kind of, mmm, mmm. But sometimes you're called to do stuff. And then, so just this weekend, I was, I was actually working on another lesson series for later on this spring on rebuilding the temple. And, and in doing that, I was, I was reading and I thought, you know, what about Naaman? What about Naaman? Naaman had, was the general in the Assyrian army and he had leprosy and he wanted to be cured. He went to, he went to Elisha. Elisha, when he talked to him, Elisha sent his servant out and said, you talk to him. And the servant said, go wash in the Jordan and you'll be healed. And Naaman's like, what? Why aren't you asking me to go do something big and hard? And he's like, and then his servant said, look, if he asked you to do something big and hard, you would have done that. He's asking you to do something pretty easy. Why don't you do that? Because that's the thing that will heal you. And I'm like, oh, wow. I would have been willing to do whatever it took, disgraceful, difficult, distasteful, in terms of doctors and treatments and blah, blah, blah. And the thing that they're saying to do is get a puppy. Okay. So I, I, you get called. Sometimes the things that you're called to do aren't what you expect. But we willingly enter into them. Sometimes you get laid aside. Sometimes the answer is, you need to sit on the sidelines right now because I'll need you later on. But it's freely and willingly, right, in the invitation. We're invited freely and willingly. We have to respond in that same way. One of the things that you see in the liturgy is, Wesley says, Christ will have none but those who enter into it willingly. Right, you have to you have to give yourself on your own, but then he sets aside. He he makes a list of says, okay, be serious. First, set us set apart some time more than once to be spent alone before the Lord and seeking earnestly God's special assistance and gracious acceptance of you in careful thinking through all of the conditions of the covenant, in searching your hearts whether you've already freely given your life to Christ. Consider what your sins are. Consider the laws of Christ, how holy, strict, and spiritual they are, and whether you, after having carefully considered them, are willing to choose them all. Be sure you're clear on these matters so you do not lie to God. Don't sign up and then bail. Backsliding, bad, right? But, he goes on later on in this to remind us that the Spirit is going to help us. Secondly, be serious and in a spirit of holy awe and reverence. Third, claim God's covenant. Rely upon God's promise of giving grace and strength so you can keep your promise. Trust not in your own strength and power. It's got to be happening through the grace of God, through the Spirit's work in your life, that you're going to keep this covenant. Resolve to be faithful. You've given your hearts to the, you've given the Lord your hearts. You've opened your mouths to the Lord. You've dedicated yourself to God. With God's power, never go back. Don't turn your back. This is a kind of an interesting thing, and this points to one of Wesley's core beliefs, which was he didn't sign up that idea of once saved, always saved. Wesley felt like you could renounce your salvation. Right? You have assurance, but you have the ability to step out of that agreement. This is a two-way commitment. If I step out of it, I've stepped out of it. And he's saying, don't do that. Don't do that. And at last, be, then be prepared to renew your covenant with the Lord. Fall down on your knees. Lift up your hands toward heaven. Open your hearts to God and pray. So then he goes on. That's our invitation. That's our invitation to join in this covenant. right? 
to be a part of this covenant relationship. In the covenant prayer, which is the whole second side, and I'm not going to go through all of it. I want you all to take time, like it said, take time, pay attention to it. We're going to make our commitment and, and reseal that, that covenant with Christ. We acknowledge our sins. We ask for forgiveness. You need to go into it clean, right? We've sinned. We've done stuff. We have difficulty with that, with, with the work of the Spirit. We can move away from that. We need forgiveness for it. We renounce our idols. Any of those things we put in front of God. Any of those things that get ahead of our relationship with Christ. We pledge that with the Spirit's help, we will not let sin in our lives. See, this is Wesley's idea around Christian perfection. He actually has a cool book called Christian Perfection. Um, yeah, it's just Christian Perfection. Um, where he talks about that, that, that we on our own can't remove sin from our lives. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can. He says, Jesus told us to be perfect like your father is perfect. And that if Jesus told us to do something that was impossible for us to do, then he lied to us. And Jesus doesn't lie to us. Therefore, with the help of the Spirit, we can move towards that. If we don't do it, it's on us. Right? But it's not that it's not a possible thing. That, that by allowing the Spirit in us, we can move to be that way. We acknowledge God as the Lord of our lives, and Jesus as our only salvation. Not other stuff around, but that the Lord is the Lord. I mean, Lord is an interesting word. It's the boss. It's not the committee of bosses. It's the boss. The Lord in... in a lot, This is one of the things that I, I think of when we, when we read the Bible. A lot of the language that we read, even though it's translated into modern English, are ideas and words that we don't have a good hold on. So, the Lord of the Manor, right, had special authority. And in fact, everything that the people on the Manor had, especially as you go farther back, farther back, farther back, was a part of the grace of the Lord of the Manor. They didn't own the land. They didn't own the animals. If the animal, if the chickens in their yard laid eggs, the fact that they got to keep the eggs was a gift. If there were deer running in the forest, those deer belong to the king, right? They're not just part of creation available to be used. The Lord owned everything, and everything you had was a gift from that Lord. We don't understand that in in our world of of uh, of. 21st century, America, individual rights, individual property, all these sorts of ideas. It's hard for us to connect those ideas around Lord and King that the people who first heard these words knew every day. But if we can reconnect to them, we can understand that the Lord is the Lord and does own everything and whatever we have is part of that gift. We renounce putting ourselves and our abilities before Christ. You know, I, I think a lot of things, and we've talked years ago, we talked about the monks. One of the things that the monks in the desert really worked hard at was, what are all of the ways that I'm putting something in front of Christ that is is really um, uh, pridefulness? I'm going to pass this second hand out because I know there's people going to leave and I want them to have it. But so, 
pride is a real issue, and it's it's don't put things, and it's before Christ, and it's also a matter of you got to think hard about that, uh, what it is that you're putting in front of Christ. Um, I may have told you all this when we were in Hawaii this last year. Uh, the pastor preached on, on 1 Corinthians 13 and the, the verse about now I see in a mirror dimly and then I'll see face to face. Well, the only way I can see someone in a mirror is if I'm in front of them. Right? And that really struck me. I had never thought of it that way. That, that I see Christ in the mirror dimly because I'm in front. Eventually we'll see each other face to face. Right? I'll not be putting myself first. And I think that's that's part of what Wesley's pushing at really hard here. Think about where you're putting yourself in a position that you don't really own. We accept the possibility that there might be suffering as a part of this. We might be called to do things that involve suffering. You know, There's lots of examples of that all throughout history and all throughout today. Whether it's big suffering or little suffering, it's there's there's stuff that we end up having to do. We accept God's law as the rule of our life. And then we pledge that we're entering into this covenant willingly. Our eyes are wide open to the seriousness. We're not just going with the crowd. Right? And we accept God, Father, Son, and Spirit, as our covenant friend. This is sort of what I was talking about at the very start. That close friend. That close, close, closest friend who is still the creator of the universe, right? Creator of time itself. And, and you know, go through, think about quantum physics and all that kind of stuff, and it gets kind of weird thinking about creating time. But still, it's it's we're establishing a personal relationship, and we're saying that we are, by this covenant relationship, the servant of Christ, of the Lord of the universe. Right? We talked about accountability. Mutual commitment. In this liturgy, the leader and the participants are vowing to help each other. We're going to look out for each other. We're going to help each other get to that place, right, to keep these commitments. John Wesley was really big on on, on his whole idea of, of how to reinvigorate the Anglican Church, the Church of England, was based around classes. Classes were in society. Societies were in bands. And And... When you had a class meeting every week, and you'd better show up, they began with, how is it with your soul? Not how are you doing, but how is it with your soul? And and the idea was to be mutually accountable. What have you done this week that was sinful? How can we work to make that not happen again next week? You confess to your friends, they confess to you, and you helped each other, right? And, and you looked out for each other. You were accountable to one another. Not just accountable to God, but accountable to people that you run into. Accountable to people that you're going to see. Accountable to people that are going to see you. And so that mutual commitment is a really important part of being able to keep a covenant. Right? If there's nobody watching, who knows whether we slide around. And then the other thing that Wesley felt was really important with respect to this covenant. He said, you're advised to make this covenant not only in your heart, but in word. Not only in word, but in writing. Therefore, with all reverence, lay the service before the Lord as you act, as your act indeed. And when you've done this, sign it. 
Then keep it as a reminder of the holy agreement between God and you, that you may remember it during doubts and temptations. And that's that second one. You can sign it, tack it on your bathroom mirror. But the idea is, if I go to that level, a signed agreement has more power than a verbal agreement. Right? A spoken agreement has more power than a thought agreement. And we're pushing up the stakes. We're pushing up the commitment. We're pushing up the seriousness with each one of those. And that's why Wesley was so intent that, you know, y'all need to sign this. And remember who he's talking to. He's going out to the coal mine to a bunch of guys who don't write. Mark your X. And you may not know what all the words on that paper have, but keep the paper because you know that it's your agreement and you've marked it. Right? It's the thing that you carry. And, you know, a lot of people carry a commitment, a sign of their commitment. Um, I used to always have in my wallet, before it wore a hole in my wallet, uh, a nail. Because I was at a um, Good Friday service one time where they handed out square nails. Right? They're easy to carry than a cross a lot of times. But, but sorts of things like that that remind you and remind you and remind you. And that's a good thing, to be reminded, to be reminded frequently of the power of what you've committed to. So Wesley felt like, start the new year, renewing your relationship with God, renewing your covenant to serve only God, to keep God as your covenant friend. That friendship is the focus. Remember that it's only with the help of the Spirit that you're able to do this. You can't, you enter into this willingly, but you can't keep it on your own. Right? There's no way to do it on your own. You have to have the Spirit's help. Then your plans as you go along will be God's plan. You'll be guided by God's plan for your life. You'll be guided into the things that are the places where you can be used, be made full, be set aside, whatever the plan is, whether it's something you feel like is within your inclinations or not. But you'll be in that covenant relationship. Sometimes you have to do things that aren't necessarily what you want. Sometimes you get to do the stuff that really makes you excited. So that that ties together and helps us to start the year with that, that renewed covenant. I think that the covenant renewal service is, is a powerful part of, of the Methodist book of, of worship. And I always look forward to when we do it. Thoughts, comments, discussions about it. I think it's cool. It's sometimes, you know, you think, oh, we're going to look at a liturgy. How exciting is that? But when you peel back and look at what it is you're saying, it matters, right? And to look at the fact that folks have been doing this for 240 years, it matters. And it's interesting to look at, at our worship liturgies and see where they came from, Um I'm always bugging Mike that I wish we would go back sometimes and use the communion liturgy from the old uh, 64 hymnal, right? All of those prayers in that came from the Book of Common Prayer, from the 1600 edition. So so it connects you to the faithful for, for a long, long, not just to each other now, but to the faithful who have had these trials, who have had the hard times. So I think it's a really it's a it's a good way to start the year is to take some time, read through this, and then if the spirit moves you, we haven't done, you know, the full liturgy and stuff, but to make that commitment. It's always best done as a group, as a part of public worship.
I think that for sure, because a big part of this is that we're, we're communally committing to each other. But lacking that capability this year, make it a private renewal. Cool. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we do thank you that we enter into a new year. We don't know what this year is going to hold, but we know that you're going to be with us as we go through it. We know that that no matter what, this is your world, and that, and that you do reach out to us every single day. That, that by the power of the Spirit, we're able to, to remain your covenant friends. And then by the power of the Spirit, we are able to enter into that covenant with you, Father, Son, and Spirit, to, to be your servants, to do what you would have us to do. Help us to remain true to that as we go through this year. Help us to be able to avoid sin, to remain committed to you, to be able to listen closely, to spend that time over and over with you, to, to cleanse ourselves so that we can be your servants. We thank you for the time that we have together each week, the time where we can grow together, where we can learn and study and focus on on how we can make you the Lord of our life even more every day. Be with us as we head out into a new week, a new week that will be cold and, and that will need your protection. Bring us together again next week. All this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks. refreshments that I was told that the table in the back has got the originals and the preserves and everything I believe was flown in straight from London and stuff for us today so take your time enjoy it and thank everybody we appreciate it there and just wonderful and you know Scott's given us a, a heartwarming message and my thoughts for the day, sometimes I luck out and I feel like I got one that kind of falls right into line with that, but life is 10% of what happens to me and 90% of how I react to it. So with that, y'all have a happy new year and enjoy. Well,